Welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly, the new rugby podcast from the 42.ie. Each week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, engaging chat and tactical insights into the sport you love on the club and international front. Our resident panellists will answer hard questions, uh, some of them from yourselves, every Thursday. And we'll also have feature interviews with some of the biggest names in the game. Now, if you want more from that game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets. For more, visit heinekenrugbyclub.com. Over 18s only, enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie for more. My own name is Gavin Casey and I'm joined, as per usual, by Murray Kinsel of the 42 and Andy Dunn. How are things, fellas? All good. Thanks, Gavin. Yeah, good. We missed you last week. How was Las Vegas? <sighs> Las Vegas. I, uh, it was a, it was an eventful uh, weekend. I'm I'm glad to be home, yeah. uh, Murray. I mean, I mean, one of the things you know, I was only back and uh, in the midst in the midst of recovery when I heard the the big news, the big rugby news of the week that that Murray had extended his contract and you can imagine my disappointment when I realised that it was actually Connor Murray had extended <laughs> his uh, deal with the IRFU. I thought we tied you down for another couple of years, but. No. Uh, I'm sure we can we can work on that. But listen, how how big an impact I suppose? Maybe it's not a, it won't make an enormous impact necessarily. Uh, but it is, you know, obviously of of massive benefit to Ireland and to Munster to to tie him down for another couple of years. Yeah, it's a brilliant bit of business by the RFU, especially cuz it's done so early. Um they kind of mentioned in their press release that it was done last month agreed and they've kind of managed to avoid all the usual speculation of of silly season contracting. Listen, one of the best players in the world. Best scrum half in the world, I don't know. You can have that debate with him and Aaron Smith. I like Aaron Smith's passing now, I have to say myself. But he, he, he's got everything in his game. Defensively really strong, brilliant passer, kicking. Uh, he's a general on the pitch and really manages both Munster and Ireland. So he's a guy up until June 2022 now, you can build both those teams around. So fantastic bit of business. Yeah, Andy, it was good news all around, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, his injury profile has been one of his biggest pluses to date also, and it might quell some of the hullabaloo that's going on around this neck injury. Um, in the event of anything serious, I'm sure he wasn't going to get offered a five-year contract on the back of it if they were concerned. So um, I think he's perfectly within his rights as a player to not want his injury discussed is, is also my view on it. And uh, yeah, I think he's asked for that on a couple of occasions in terms of information to the media about it and that tends to drive more rumours and is Murray okay and I've heard all kinds of ridiculous stuff but I think uh, professional outfits these days they don't give out five year contracts unless they're pretty happy that the person is in physically good health Absolutely I mean there was other massive news further west of course uh, yeah, great news. Now, Andy, you would have played in the uh, yes. in the sports grounds on some of the, oh, the darkest and dreariest days in it, probably in Irish history. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, it's a, it's a you know it's a massive boost for for Connacht and um, I suppose just for the next generation of players or even some of the current players, like the opportunity to play in in sort of proper facilities, proper surroundings. It's a, a huge step forward. It's yeah, it's massive for Connacht as. Just, a, I suppose, a barometer of their progress overall. Um, I, I played in the game where Felipe, it was a Satanta advert. Oh, yeah, yeah. So where Felipe took a kick at goal and it ended up behind him. Yeah, the banana <laughs> um, kick, yeah. We just want to address, one, they haven't actually changed that end of the stadium or the other end. The stands are still going to be built on the side. Right. And the wind goes directly straight down <laughs> off the Atlantic. So unless they're going to build a giant wall uh, <laughs> at one end wall. of the stadium. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, when I first, actually, the first ever time I played there was with Leinster in around ninety nine two thousand, um, and it was a very, very barren uh, 
ground. It, you wouldn't really call it a stadium back then as such. It was more just a playing field with a dog track around it. And, uh, you know, that's just the way the game was back then. But, um, you know, the plans look lovely. They've they've built the kind of high-performance gym and, and athletics track already. And I think they're looking to add on to that as well. So it's becoming a nice little hub for the region as well. So it's brilliant news. Yeah, I think that high-performance centre is really key. Going down there over the last few years, you've sensed the frustration from the players that their facilities haven't matched the other provinces. Um, maybe jokingly referenced a couple of times, but you know there's a serious point. Even the way the <coughs> players have greeted this on Twitter and stuff, um, how happy they are with it. I think it's like, finally, we're getting this done. So I think it just helps. You often wondered, you know, Connick win that 2016 uh, Pro mm. 12, and you wonder, how are they actually going to make that sustainable step to challenge the other provinces? Yeah. This, I guess, financially, and in terms of how they can train and perform, um, really makes sense in, in terms of that step. So spending 30 million on it, in the long term is going to be well worth it and they're going to get a great return I think on that yeah exciting times for Connacht um, exciting times at the Aviva Stadium over the weekend we have a question here from Ashling M on Instagram and she asks what did you make of Peter Romani's bind in the scrum uh, it's a point of contention for sure isn't it yeah really interesting one um, I suppose just to run through in case people didn't see this yet um so like everyone aside from the front row in a scrum has to to bind on a, a lock the actual law is 7d in the law book it says uh, apart from the front row all other players in the scrum bind on a lock's body with at least one arm what peter manny has been doing for every single scrum this season actually i went through all the games um so i think he's overdone this he's basically binding onto the props outside leg so his arm is in underneath their leg and he's got essentially his full body weight in behind him, loads of stability there, but no bind onto the second row. So it is illegal. Uh, I actually went back last and went through last season's game as well, just to check. And he did it once in Australia. He did it once against Scotland in the Six Nations. So he's kind of filtering in and out with it. Um, and now he's gone kind of full bore on it. But I think this is the last time he'll get away with it. <laughs> like it was clever, but I guess, Andy, like you never obviously broke the laws in the game never, when no. you were playing. But it, this is what players do, isn't it? You try and push it and test things. Yeah, I think it's. I'm not sure why the hell he he, he went 100% with it. If he got away with it on occasion, um, to, to then do it so... It's it's actually so subtle what he's doing, it's very hard to notice. Yeah. Um, and, and what he ought to have done is, I think, keep it infrequent and get away with it. He's given his tight head a bit of a, an additional shove and, and a bit of extra support right in front of the referee's eyes, literally below his eyes. Yeah. It's almost too clever, you know, if you're... <laughs> If uh, if you do it so directly and blatantly in front of someone, that they're never going to suspect a thing. Uh, I think sp- using to use it sparingly and get away with it for a longer period would have been smarter. Um, but uh, you can count on every single solitary game, pre-game chats with referees. Are you going to address Peter O'Mahony's binding? It, it'll be completely negated from from this week. It won't happen again. I'd be amazed if it does. Yeah, he'll have to find some other way to um, massage. Yeah, he'll, the he'll find a way. Going. He'll find a way. Yeah, I'm no sure he will. I like his style, <laughs> <laughs> right in front of the referee's eyes. So, I mean, Monster, Monster and Leinster is a good place to kick off. I suppose the former, in particular, like you know, dominant in possession, we'll say over the weekend, and you know, obviously came away without even a losing bonus point. One, one of the um, aspects of their game that they're clearly trying to improve is is kind of the variety to their attack. What do they need in order to kind of kick on now at this stage, Murray, do you reckon, and, and become more potent outfield, I suppose? Because we saw them, you know, from set pieces in the 22, they were decent. I think they made six trips into the 22, came away with scores three times, something like that. So yeah. they they definitely need work, and it, it kind of presumably needs to come out wide a little bit. Yeah, especially with this weekend, uh, away to Exeter Chiefs and the Heineken Champions Cup. It doesn't come much tougher than that. 
But I think we saw in the first few games of the season there was that push to, to develop the attacking kind of palette. We probably wondered whether when they came up against pressure against Leinster they would continue to pursue that. I think the positive thing is that they did. The, the really interesting part for me is the kind of middle third of the pitch and, and that build-up play. You know, traditionally Munster would have kicked a lot from there and they did. They kicked 21 times in, in play against Leinster. Some good. There was that Joey Carberry one in the first half where he found space in behind McFadden rolled into touch. Some bad kicking as well when there was coverage in the backfield and they're just dropping the ball into to opposition hands. Um, but I just think in, in that build-up play there's lovely shape now, lovely intent. You're seeing guys like Stephen Archer. He passed the ball five times. He actually, mm. you saw at one stage he was a first receiver he put Darren Sweetenham up the left hand touchline uh, Niles Scanlon had eight passes as well so very much a continuation of that team but I just think when they're getting to the edge or when they're I suppose when they're creating that space in the edge they're not actually being really clinical and taking it against a defence as good as Leinster's which is one of the best in Europe um, you're only going to get two or three windows on that edge and you have to be so clinical there was one in the 22nd minute um, they create a bit of space on the right hand side Henshaw's on the very edge of the defence he's in a bit of trouble it looks like um, CJ Standard, Dan Goggin and Earls are there but CJ Standard just can't fix Henshaw and a brilliant bit of defence now in fairness he covered two defenders just slides off uh, Standard onto Goggin and, and closes it up there were a couple other ones where um, even actually just before half time they're playing from right to left Joey Carberry's in a ruck um, and Goggin and Arnold the two centres are in the kind of playmaking positions you think actually there's a bit of space here on the left edge they have that pod shape again but instead of going out the back door being really clinical in taking the chance to go there uh, it was two carries Goggin carries then Arnold carries um, and that window just closed so I think it is a really positive development that they're trying to push this way but it's going to be I suppose a long term project and these things Andy I guess take time to to bed in fully Yeah I think even it needs a bit of gentle management and good communication even to the support and to the public and to the media and everyone to say they are if they are going to try and adopt a different way of playing and I, I personally think they ought to I think they've got the personnel to do it they need patience and they need people to understand that it's not going to work with immediate effect against high quality defences like Leinster um, in order to develop it I, I do think they need to be a bit braver around passing out of the tackle and to the ball carriers who are carrying in the midfield channels in order to penetrate, get in, get their hands free and, and support runners running a, running a line that's really aggressive off that guy. And if, if you don't get the pass away and if the guy, the support runner doesn't catch it, he runs through the line, you're down an attacker. But for, for all that trial and error, when that comes off, you break down a defence immediately. And then that ball in hand game that they're trying to develop becomes a much more it's a much more effective plan in if you try and 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 just make it very um homogenized and it looks nice and you go side to side and side to side we this has been done for 10 or 15 years Gloucester rugby did it under Nigel Melville years ago and they famously went from one side of the pitch to the other and then and then Penny, when he came in in Munster, was hugely criticised for it. There was a lack of penetration. So now I think they're they're trying to play that different style and a different brand, and it is commendable. I think where they develop it is 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 penetrating in midfield a bit more, and then the next phase off it is against a broken defence. Then you can make hay a bit more. You made the point there, uh, Andy, <coughs> that they need to sort of relay this message to fans, to the media mm. even. Is it a case of, you know, being transparent mm. in what you're trying to do in order to take the heat off yourself while you're trying to do it? That's ex- Yeah, I mean, exactly. Why not? 
I mean, why wouldn't you t- turn around and tell your, the people who are supporting you and the people who are criticising you, we're trying to do something, we're trying to build something. And, you know, the, the, the counter argument to that is no one cares. Like, we've a European game next week and you, you do you do whatever you do to win. Yeah. But, um, you know, they haven't had a game manager like O'Gara since he left. And it's not looking like they're going to replace a guy who can equally, who can manage a game that effectively. And again, Ronan's capacity to... to manage a game as as one guy driving 14 other troops that evolved from age 21 through to his late 20s early 30s and Joey who I think will be the incumbent now for for the foreseeable future will develop a bit more ownership and and direction but I <coughs> I think transparency about how they're trying to play they're not telling everyone exactly what they're going to do they're just saying they're trying to play a different yeah. brand of rugby in it D- yeah there has been a bit of that. I think Van Gran is kind of recognise he's talked about making them a better passing team yeah and he's saying this is a long term thing like <clears throat> one preseason isn't going to change yeah. a big group of players uh, you've you've heard Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery talking about going down to New Zealand seeing the difference in the basic passing skills there as well so Absolutely. they're starting to get that message out a little bit I think yeah I, I think the danger is that under pressure um, if so Joey had one brilliant kick into the corner from right to left he went back across yeah, uh, the rook it was, it was a beautiful kick it was O'Gara-esque the the risk is there's a lot of pressure on in European games that the, the crowd are asking for that all the time and if it's not being done we're not playing cute enough rugby we're not being smart we're not doing X, Y and Z it's it's not always the ideal way to play in every situation and I think traditionally it's been the one that's delivered the most success for Munster rugby but I think this particular group and the new younger guys in the management team who've gone away and learnt you know what success looks like again down in Canterbury and and, and where was Felix hurricanes and, yeah and hurricanes why not take back from the best environments in the world some learnings and try and implement them as opposed to take it back try it for four weeks and say actually you know just just kick into the corner if it's raining every week and build pressure that way I think they've got to allow for a bit of trial and error yeah and I think they probably learned that you mentioned Penny there like. Mm. The patience just wasn't there. No, especially with the players. Even you know, no. like guys like Paul O'Connell was going so far away from what they knew. It was very unfamiliar, and I think everyone kind of struggled with it. Media, fans, players, yeah, fellow coaches. So I think it probably needs a bit of patience. It's interesting you mentioned there about like Joey being the one to manage. I think Rory Scanlon has a big role to play in that as well. He was yeah. missing at the weekend. I thought it was really obvious, especially in their face play. That second organizer we mentioned when when Joey's mm. down in, in a ruck maybe or whatever has to make a. Uh, carry himself and yeah. just a little bit of responsibility and, and Rory Scanlon's really comfortable in that role he can kick too and they don't really have that at fullback Simon Zebo's gone now Mike Haley and Andrew Conway brilliant attacking players but not really in that kind of playmaking role so I think that responsibility getting shared around will be will be really good and, and just organising everyone and making them feel a bit more comfortable in those positions to, to, to back their passing skills mm. Andy for, for Joey Carberry this weekend I mean you're, you're talking about a pressure cooker naturally in uh, Exeter but mm. to have I suppose you know optimally you're, you're, uh, you have Connor Murray there with him I mean uh, himself yeah. a great game manager and you've got then Scannell outside him taking the pressure off him from each side if you like not to sort of disparage Duncan Williams in any way, but he is third choice. Uh, he is a qu- quite a functional player. Um, we've seen, you know, his passing, let's say, isn't world-class. For Garbery coming into a, you know, a new setup, and, and this is his first sort of, let's say, bona fide, like, <coughs> big European game, yeah. uh, how much of a difference does it make, say, to not have your main scrum half there or, uh, in, you know, in reverse... <laughs> How much of a difference does it make when it's sort of somebody who's third or th- third choice or even might have been fourth choice a couple of weeks ago? Well, 
I just one kind of one point that you mentioned as his first bona fide European game. He he started a European game for Leinster two years ago as a ten, and he beat eleven defenders as the out half, which I think is still a record. So he and now he was in a different side in a different setup, but in his first European game, he he broke a record for defenders beaten by an out half. I think the guy uh, is is not afraid of taking people on. He's not afraid of responsibility. If he was, he wouldn't have done that. He could have dropped back 10 yards in that first European game for Leinster and passed to the guys around him. So, okay, he's, he doesn't have Murray and he doesn't have uh, Matthewson this Saturday. Um, but with Williams there, I, you know, I, th- I actually think it's a positive in the sense he's going to have to go out himself and be dominant, domineering. With Murray there, he he could actually, there's a, there's a slight, we call it a risk, but um, a reliance on, on the, the guy who's the status quo to, you know, you take control, you run it. He doesn't have that choice now this Saturday. And I actually think it suits his personality as a player. Leinster will kick off their own Heineken Champions Cup defence uh, this weekend. A big game in its own right, of course. Uh, key to it, Murray, the centre partnership. We want to kind of delve into that a little bit and, and maybe make some wild and premature comparisons uh, between Robbie Henshaw and, and Ringrose on that axis and a, and a famous one uh, for Ireland in the past. Uh, what's What are your thoughts on them as a partnership? Robbie? Yeah, I, I really like this partnership. I think it's been, both for Ireland and, and Leinster, one of the most exciting developments in the last couple of years. Um, obviously in 2017 they played together for Ireland for the entire Six Nations. Last year, because of injury, they didn't actually get to play together and Ireland still won a Grand Slam. Uh, Bundy Aki was kind of the main glue and I guess he, he's got a big ambition in that 12 jersey as well going forward I think just for Leinster they're so integral to everything they do now obviously the focus tends to be on Johnny Sexton but these two guys make life very easy for him two really intelligent players uh, particularly in defence I mean we mentioned mentioned that Henshaw moment earlier on just that little read off there was another big hit on Niall Scannell just coming off a mole Munster were kind of threatening the trial line Scannell breaks away um, he's two or three metres out and I don't think many centres would have actually stopped him there hits high on the ball you know doesn't chop him low which is really intelligent in that zone um, and even with John Klein latching on he still has the strength to kind of wrestle him off to the side he's constantly making big impacts like that in defence as well as making those good reads I think Ringrose as well similarly I don't know if there's a better defender on the drift in, in, in Ireland mm-hmm. than him when your number's down, he's the absolutely perfect guy because he's so intelligent in easing off at the right time, staying connected to the two guys either side of him, which is so important. Even if they're almost getting disconnected, he's <coughs> adapting to to their movement and then going at the right time and making that tackle. Um, talking to him recently, I think he's still working on when he gets those um, reads and shoots out of the line himself, just sticking that tackle in behind. Um, tends to slip off a couple of them and he's saying it's about his kind of his footwork when he gets in behind the line, actually finishing it out rather than the contact, is just getting closer to the tackle. Um, so if he adds that, he's 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 pretty much a complete defender. Attacking wise, like Robbie Henshaw looks like he enjoys playing thirteen more than twelve, and probably had a good future at fullback until he until uh, things changed on, under Joe Schmidt. But he's brilliant in that channel. His footwork is so good. Like even against Munster, he beat four defenders, even though he's carrying in, in dense traffic every time. Um, Ring rows as well with that kind of gliding running side. We saw it against Connacht for that try. It's just a pleasure to watch, um, and his vision is is superb. We've talked about it last week. His development as a kind of second playmaker as well, stepping in a first receiver when Sexton's out of out of action or on the other side of the pitch. So I think they bring all those elements. Like you mentioned, Ireland's greatest centre pairing, O'Driscoll and Darcy. 
uh, that's the standard, isn't it? Um, and I guess those guys, if you look at what they brought, they had all those things. They probably had a bit more breakdown competition. But I can see, like, Ringrose is 23, Henshaw is 25. There's a lot of, lot of growth left in their game. Um, and I can see them pushing on to that level. Like, they, they've helped win a Grand Slam. They've Champions Cup. Uh, obviously, Henshaw missed that Pro 14 final. But just as a pairing as well, I think the understanding is really developing nicely. And I, I think it makes life easier for, for a 10 especially, doesn't it, Andy? Yeah, well, for for everyone, for their back rowers, um, for any of their, their forward pack who, you know, like most forwards, want to want to come up out of a breakdown and ideally be running an arc, you know, sideways to forwards. And those guys are doing that for them on regular occasions. Henshaw seems to be doing it more kind of route one, certainly when he's playing within the Irish setup. There's a lot of initial contact and leg drive and getting over the gain line that way. Um, he's deployed he has been deployed slightly differently by Lancaster as a 12 when he's played as a 12 um, versus how he plays with Ireland he, he he was very effectively used by Schmidt as a battering ram and he did it really well he was used more as a distributor at 12 by by Lancaster and again that shows his flexibility Um He's very is malleable. Is that a word? I'm trying yeah. to think. The coach yeah. can mould whatever that yeah. word is. Malleable, spot on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> word word of the day, toilet roll <laughs> word of the day. Um, I think as a coach, though, it would be a joy to work with him because if you ask him to stick it under his jumper and run through a brick wall, I would suspect he'll just go, absolutely, boss, and I'll do it all day for you. If you ask him to distribute off his left hand 20 yards on the run, fix his opposition defender, he'll do that too. Um and I, I think ring rolls of the two is very, probably the more, um, dare I say it, like innately talented. He's probably a little mm. bit faster across the ground. He's a bit more elusive. Um, he's not as, as chunky, um, but he's no less courage. And, and uh, he's very, very physical, ring rolls. But I, I, in terms of comparisons with Darcy and O'Driscoll, the, the, one, the one thing that's probably, if down the list in terms of what's celebrated about Brian and Gordon was was just their toughness. They were just yeah. so mentally tough, so physically tough. But like Brian had a cervical neck fusion and came back and played. Gordon Darcy had a probably a career threatening uh, arm break. I think multiple surgeries. Looked like he was going to have to retire. Came back and was stronger and more resilient than ever. And uh, when I saw Henshaw take the uh, the shoulder injury against Italy last year. My initial thought was that, okay, how's he going to... That's the first big knock for him, really, at the highest level. How do you bounce back from that? And he actually came back. It was like the bionic man. He had a shoulder... He had a full shoulder reconstruction. And he was back in 11 weeks, which, again, the standardised recovery for that is about four months, five months. He was back in 11 weeks. He started the the Heineken uh, quarters against... Was it Scarlet's? Against Scarlet... Saris. Saris. Uh, whatever game he returned into, um, I've never seen a better return from from long term injury. He was just on the money from the kickoff for seventy five, seventy six minutes. Hugely physical. He lost no fitness apparently. I don't know how the hell he he did that because he really difficult to replicate. You know, on field fitness because the intensity. But then again, that's testament to Lancaster's training methods as well because they apparently train with huge intensity. But yeah, his response to a tough injury as a rugby player, you know, a shoulder reconstruction, 11 weeks, you know, bionic man stuff, a return where 
he didn't just ease his way back in. He was, you know, he put in a hit after about three minutes that was shuddering. I think Sexton spoke at length after that game about Henshaw. He just couldn't get over his contribution. So between, I think Ringrose has that in him. He's got that kind of deep rooted, deep will, strong headedness. You know, just the two of them have that. That's the biggest compliment I think that I could pay them in relation to Darcy and O'Driscoll. They seem to be matching their resilience. Yeah, and like you mentioned there, Henshaw being able to play a different role for, for Leinster than Ireland and at times you see him carrying so hard and you go okay this is the track he's gone down and that's him now but I think for both of them they keep adding little strings to their bow like mm-hmm. Ringrose's Grober kicking game in the last year or so just brilliant like he's he's given them another kicking option with that little Grober down the, usually down the right hand touchline just easing a bit of pressure and, and changing the shape of the game for the ba- opposition backfield as well um, and as you say Henshaw's added in that passing game as well and I guess you fear when someone goes into that very direct role that those sides of the game kind of dull off but yeah. um, the two of them are continuing to progress unbelievably and I think the similarity as well is another similarity is just how um, good a teammate both the players are like they're mm. the guys you want beside you because you know they're going to make a good read you know they're not going to leave you in a bad position with a really selfish decision they're going to make life easier for you with, with understanding with communication off the ball kind of movement and, and that work rate in defence so yeah I think it's unbelievably exciting that they're 23 and 25 still and they've mm. already achieved so much um, and they're massive drivers for this Leinster team. I, I can't really think of a better centre pairing in the Champions Cup this season um, and I think they're going to be massively important. If Leinster are going to defend that title, uh, those two guys are going to be f- forefront of, of it, yeah. Yeah, like very briefly, there'll be people in Connacht here out west hopping their phones off walls, I suppose, that we haven't mentioned Bundy Aki at this point and given he has... Not really done anything wrong. It's just that he was always going to be at uh, an inherent disadvantage when you've got your two sort of main rivals, or well, you know, for uh, certainly Henshaw at twelve um, playing together at provincial level. What does Aki need to do then to sort of penetrate that partnership and sort of uh, you know um, maneuver his way back into the reckoning? I mean, he, he's you know, it's not that he's out of the reckoning at all, really. Yeah, it's yeah. just you know, how does he become a mainstay if, if possible? Yeah, I, I guess he's the man in the possession of the jersey, really. Isn't exactly, he? like, he's yeah. the grand slam winner. He was the guy there the whole time. Joe Schmidt has spoken about it, um, and probably people underestimated even what he's bringing. Obviously, his physical, like his ma- he's just a dense physical specimen, and he, he wins contact so so well. But there was all the subtleties. There was that brilliant pass for CJ Sanders try. There was loads of really good rock work, which obviously is massive in Joe Schmidt's world. Um, and he was absolutely outstanding. I'm, I'm not saying that this is the definite partnership for, for Ireland going forward. I, I love the way they work together, but Aki absolutely has a massive role. There's always going to be injuries as well. It, There's yeah. a guy like Chris Farrell to come back in as well. Rory Scannell, we mentioned. Um, Stuart McCloskey's playing brilliant rugby up in, up in Ulster as well. Um, so there's m- many options for <coughs> Joe Schmidt. It's a really good position to be in. Um, I think it's just about how that combination works and for me that Henshaw and Ringrose combination is so complementary and and such a good understanding between them that it's just hard to look past it it is indeed uh, very t- two very uh, young and talented players that'll be hopefully here for a while now on the topic of Leinster Murray you caught up with the recently departed he's not dead uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be now that would be a podcast but a, a Leinster rugby legend who's moved home yeah, I was on the phone to Ethan Atewa this week. Um, he's obviously back in New Zealand now, working away. He's retired for the second time, so I just started by asking him how that's going. Yeah, the retirement's been been grand this time. Um, and it wasn't that it wasn't good last time. I just think I was ready this time. Um, 
mentally and obviously physically. Um, and to finish, obviously, at Leinster with, you know, lifting the double and lifting two trophies with such good people um, around me, it was um, it was just my time. And I really felt that this time. So re- retirement this time has been far easier and probably smoother. Yeah, that's great to hear. You, you were back a couple of weeks ago, I think, for your testimonial dinner in the Mansion House. Uh, I think Navy Blue Sports set that up and you had all your old teammates there. Was it like being back in the squad straight away or have things moved on quickly? How did, how did it feel being around the guys? Um, it was really strange, um, to be honest. I, you know, dropped down to train, um, I think on Monday afternoon and it was like I hadn't left because I was on the sideline not training, which was standard (laughs) for a Monday in my final year and every single person there was just giving me the same amount of stick as, uh, had been, you know, two months prior. So, um, it was really good to get down and see everyone though. It, uh. It really was, and it just felt like, you know, the, this felt like normal times. And I guess it shows you that, you know, the amount of time I have been away, everything just seemed normal. So obviously I haven't been away long enough. Um, there was not really a novelty in coming back to Dublin. It just felt like I was yeah. driving through the streets like I hadn't even left. So then I sort of looked at the calendar and realised there was only – you know, two months ago that uh, we actually left Dublin. So um, everything felt felt – strangely normal which was uh which was a different way to put it okay and will you like you'll very much stay in touch with guys i know gary ringrose mentioned there recently that he'd been talking to you kind of about off-field habits and making those kind of gains away from training yep. so, so you'll still be in regular contact with those kind of guys oh yeah like i'm in contact with most of them uh you know a lot of the guys sort of every week still um and i always always hoped i would be um and you know i'm still mates with um i still talk to a load of guys that i that weren't even playing when I was uh, still there. You know, I'm in regular contact with Shane Jennings, Isaac Boss. Um, I talk to Straussy in South Africa um, every week. So, plus all the current squad, you know, I'm only a phone call away and I've always sort of hoped they knew that. And, yeah, I've caught up with um, Gary and Ferg when um, and talked to those guys regularly. So, it's... Um, Ah, it's nice. It's nice. It's always, uh, I know that I can definitely feel like I'm outside of it all now. Um which is just part of professional sport. It rolls on with or without you. So um, I was ready for that too, I think. So it's um, it was good to get back and see everyone though. Yeah, and you've moved on with something that sounds quite different, financial services you're working in now, which sounds totally non-rugby related. But I do understand there's there's a bit of rugby involvement. You're working with some players maybe, are you? Yeah, look, I think uh, it was. I just needed something completely different um, yeah. for my wife, for my family, for me really. Um you know, and I didn't want, I never want to be sort of, even for my girl's sake, I didn't want to be defined as a rugby player and let that sort of define me, you know. So mm. it was the challenge that I needed. Um, but as you say, there's a load of rugby players on our books, um, a load of New Zealand cricket players we do have a lot of dealings with and have a really good relationships with. And hopefully in, you know, the next six months or so, I'll um, be, you know, be dealing with a lot of these guys face-to-face. So, yeah, it's not too far away from rugby. My boss is an avid rugby fan, all-black supporter um, with a lot of history um, in those lines. So it's it's not too far away from sport, that's for sure. Yeah, and you've obviously stayed involved. I've I've been enjoying your commentary on the Mother Tank Cup. Um, Try and watch as much as I can. It's obviously hard to follow early in the mornings here, but have you enjoyed that role and and did it feel kind of like a natural step having done so much analysis so recently as as part of your job? Yeah, it's... um, 
it's analysis for the viewer. It's a really different uh, different take to it and different side to it. Um, but surprisingly, I did enjoy it. Um, it was a way to get back and see parts of New Zealand that I haven't seen in a long time too. Um, I've been up north. I've been down to uh, Hayden Triggs country and Palmerston North. I've been to New Plymouth. I've been to Dunedin. So it was just a, quite a good transition. And coming back, I... I probably regretted signing up for it so early, which is often the case with Sky Sports stuff. But uh, okay. you, they have to, they have to be prepared. They have to plan their season. And I probably the reason I was coming back to New Zealand was to get out of rugby altogether and get my weekends back. And then I was only back seven days, and I already lost my first weekend. And out of the next yeah. six weekends, I had games on. So um, okay. <laughs> it sort of backfired a little bit. But now that that's finished. Um, I've got a good lead into summer where I know weekends are free. I uh, can plan things with the girls, can plan things with Simone and actually get out and do stuff. So um, it was a, it was just part of the, um, I, part of the momentum and uh, move back to New Zealand was, was that side of it, but it was good. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure the girls are going to love seeing you at weekends. It's a, a rarity, I guess, when you're playing professional. But you've kind of put coaching on the back burner for now, but... Would that still be an ambition further down the line? Yeah, it is. It is. Like, I, I know there'll be a time, um, whether that's <laughs> in a six months, a year, two years, <laughs> three years. Like, I definitely know I'll go back to uh, to coaching when the timing's right. Um, and it's not right now. You know, we're, we're purely still settling into New Zealand. It's, um, you know, living in a sort of different part of Auckland um, with a different routine. So it's going to take a while to get get used to things even for my wife and the and the girls so um you know different i'll definitely coach down the line and it's it's just a it's just something that i really want to sink my teeth into when the timing's right yeah well like what about it appeals to you i i guess i'm just still got a competitive edge that i just like uh getting the best out of getting the best out of players um mm. And I truly believe like coaching is about is more about sort of dealing with people and managing people as well as the tactics side to it. Um, and I guess it's just always sort of been a passion of mine in the back burner that probably I learned that I did like it the last time I retired. Um, you know, I probably didn't want to see a rugby ball, but after 18 months where I sort of got pulled in and roped into doing a little bit of coaching, I actually, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it's, you know, double the amount of work as a player, double the amount of um, time, you know, spent probably analysing the game with very little impact at the end of the day. So there's a whole sort of game of chess going on in coaching that I sort of, I do enjoy. So, you know, when the timing's right, um, you know, I will I will think I'll move back into that space. Yeah, absolutely. Leinster obviously moving on and, lo- and looking as strong again. We'll find out more obviously in Europe in the next couple of weekends, but... Um, I really read your interest. Uh, sorry, your article in the Sports Chronicle with with great interest. You mentioned how important Leo is, and I guess he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves on on the outside. You've seen up up close just how important he is for Leinster. Yeah, he's um, he just he really he's the heartbeat, and he lives and breathes Leinster and and everything um, everything good about it, and has done for so long. Um, Obviously, the most you know successful captain in Europe, and you know he's already creating his uh, his coaching legacy. But he he works he works so hard um, behind the scenes that people 
you know, people don't see. And there's a lot of great people that work behind the scenes that don't get any credit um, for all the good that uh, is going on at Leinster. But um, Leo in particular, he's, you know, there's sort of two two people that walk in the building at the early hours of the day and two that, and one that leaves at the end of the day. And Leo's always one of those guys. So he, um, yeah, I think, you know, people always find reasons to criticise Leo. Um but they definitely don't see the amount of hours he um, he logs as a head coach. Um, but yeah, he's you know everything good about Leinster is um, you know often in Leo's plans. Yeah, really impressive job there. What about Johnny taking over as captain? Obviously, he was your vice captain, and you've seen his leadership over the years. I mean, when we're watching on the outside, we see his demands, I guess, on the pitch, and and they're quite uh, demanding, certainly. Um, but what's he like behind the scenes as a captain? Um, and how much is he going to benefit Leinster in that role? Oh, like he's, he's, you know, people talk about captain and leaders, but he's been one, you know, for so long. You know, you think of that day in 2009 where he came on for Felipe against Munster and Croke Park. And since then, every single piece of success has, you know, usually been um, the architect behind it all has always been Johnny. So he's he's developed so much as a leader. Um over the last few years in particular, you know, especially an in international level and at Leinster, he's, it's absolutely no brainer that he's in charge. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just as critical about his leadership style. You know, he does, he knows he's probably quite conscious that he doesn't want to change too much, but he has to change a little bit. And I think that's the sign of, uh, of one of the great leaders. Um, and he's been, you know, instrumental over the last, you know, definitely the last three years since uh, coming back from his, from his European sabbatical um, to to really have a massive impact on all the good at Leinster. Um, and, you know, with him and Leo leading the way, um, you know, he's he's developed so, so well as a person. Yeah. Like you mentioned change there. I guess every captain has to go through that process. What what specifically do you mean? Is that being maybe more aware of people around you or, or how, how do you mean change there? Well, you've got to um, first, there's there's got to be a lot of self you know, self-assessment um, of of how you interact with people, how you, uh, you know, interact with the whole organisation. And um, Johnny's the most competitive person I know. And, you know, he's maybe had to just tweak once or twice the way he um, reacts to certain situations. And that's a sign of a, of a leader learning. Um, and, you know, as leaders and captains, we probably all make, uh, you know, a hell of a lot of mistakes along the way. But, you know, Johnny's very... Um, hard working he has that ethic to um, learn from mistakes and uh, you know he's it's just subtle tweaks you know you don't want to change Johnny Sexton um, you don't want to change his leadership style and I definitely wouldn't be one to force any change on it you just have to be a little bit more self-aware around you know all the situations that you're going to uh, put yourself in as a captain. Yeah, he seems to be enjoying it anyway and pushing on to another level again if it's possible. The, the last thing I just want to touch on you with, Isa, is um, just your consistency as a player. It was always the thing that struck me about you. You know, a lot of players struggle for that consistency. They have a big performance and maybe dip away. Um, we've spoken before about your kind of mental skills uh, focus and, and the amount of time you put into that area. Do you think that was a big part of it, being able to turn up every week and, and be consistent, that you had put in the mental skills work, I guess, during the week? Yeah, definitely. Um it's still it's still hard for me now to sort of verbalize what sort of uh, what I did and you know and how I did it you know such a such a broad side of mental skills but I think one of my um, 
probably one of my strengths was I might have been very, very boring in how I prepared, but like preparation and routine was pretty key for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just keeping that, you know, keeping the distractions out of your life, if that's possible, um, or actually being in control of the distractions that are in your life. And you need them to be positive. You need to have the time away from um, from rugby, whether that's, you know, during the training week or in the um, – throughout a game but I think routine had a massive part to play with um with it, it has a massive part to play with consistency and I think you know I look back and I think it was pretty boring at times but it was more <laughs> it was more about the performance and the weekend that was number one so um you know if you can prioritize why you do things and and keep a pretty good routine then uh and learn along the way, then then consistency should come naturally. Yeah, and that's going to stand you in good stead for the, the next chapter as well. Issa, thanks a million for joining us. We really appreciate it, and best luck for the future. Cheers, Aaron. Now, Ulster had a tumultuous season, to put it lightly, last year. Uh, they went out in the pool stages of uh, the Champions Cup, as it was then. In the Heineken Champions Cup this season, are they better equipped to make it out of a very precarious looking pool? Like, it's a bit of a. <laughs> there are sort of two prongs to that question, I realise. Um, but it's uh, it's going to be very difficult for them. Yeah, Scarlets, Rassing, and Leicester is about as tough as it could get. Scarlets and Rassing, two of the favourites in behind Leinster for outright win of, of the competition. So I think that's, yeah, that's the first prong. Like, this group is incredibly tough to get out. Um, and I think it is a project under Dan McFarland and, and probably needs a bit of patience. If they get out of that pool, it's an unbelievable achievement, I think. Um, but look, we've seen enough evidence in the in the last six weeks to probably make a, an assessment of where they are. Um, obviously, these two games now coming up, Leicester at home first, you you got to win that one. Mm. And then Rassing away looks really tough before those Scarlets back-to-backs. Um, but we've seen plenty of signs that there's a renewal, certainly, of um, the atmosphere among the group and, and certainly a kind of weight off the shoulders, a sense of moving on. The style of play is kind of developed as well. Like they've always gone for a kind of skills based approach, but it's even more so now. I think Zebra, as usual, are the offloading kings in the Pro Fourteen. They'll throw anything, but just Famously. behind them, just behind them is is less as Ulster. Sorry, with kind of average ten offloads a game and 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 really backing themselves to throw them. At times, it's been a little bit sloppy, a little bit loose, um. But it's exciting. You're seeing guys like McCluskey and, and Kutsia really leading that. They've got this one three three one shape, which basically everyone is playing now. But, um. I think my worry there is that they're kind of almost so slavish to the shape. They're almost losing sight of making decisions on the pitch, scanning for space at times. They're so kind of concerned with getting into their shape and, and having that width in their play. Maybe they're missing out on those little, Andy mentioned earlier on, being kind of like penetrating in closer to the rook at times. But it, but it has been a development and, and it, it is an exciting aspect of their play to have that width and, and forwards out in the, the 15 metre channel. You've seen Billy Burns obviously taking over 10. I think he's been an encouraging uh, addition uh, he's got a really lovely short kicking game you saw even the crossfield kick for the Stockdale try he picks out Quail and Blade on the edge of the defence with an advantage playing just hangs one up there there's lovely grubbers and chips as well so that's adding a bit of variety Stuart McCloskey as we mentioned is, is incredible form he uh he kind of reminds me of Yannick Josian a little bit in, in terms of that offloading game. Uh, Josian was my favourite player growing up now, so uh, this is this could be a trip down memory lane, but it, it's like an aesthetic beauty to his offloading game, if I can say it that strongly. Um, reminds me of what the, you say about you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. in, uh, you were talking yourself, weren't I, you? I wish, I wish. Um, 
but it's just incredible the way he gets that hand through it's incredible how he imagines up these offloads gets a hand through draws in that edge defender two guys wrapped around him and just invitingly leaves the ball up there for, for a guy to run to he's been in great form uh, mentioned Kutsia there as well him back from injury after two horrible years has made a massive difference um, so aggressive in contact you saw against Connacht he had seven turnovers which is a joint record with James Davies actually um, really good on the jackal and also stripping in contact obviously a sloppy yellow card there as well and I thought actually the hit on Tom Farrell for the HIA incident was a little bit sloppy as well could have maybe looked at that but they're getting these individuals into form they're there's a real sense of um, collective growth about them. I think they started really well. The momentum of those two late wins with John Cooney kicking the penalties against Scarlets and Edinburgh really lifted things. I think we've seen in the last couple of weeks there's still work to do, certainly on their squad depth um, and maybe just that kind of clinical edge. Obviously, the red card for Matty Ray was, was, was massively influential in that game. But I think we're seeing signs that they're growing. Um, but it is going to be like we mentioned long-term project with Munster this is going to be even longer term I think because they're starting from a really kind of low point in the province's history um, so while I do think they will be more competitive I'd be surprised if they get out of that pool Yeah Andy from I suppose from Ulster's perspective you're kind of staring into the pool of death and now there are a couple of tough ones granted this year but when you are arguably like if it was to be sort of you know power ranked the, the weakest side in the pool maybe the perfect fixture to start off with if you were looking to build momentum with, with Leicester at home. But like, what's the approach there? Knowing surely as a player that we're seriously up against it here. Is it a case of taking it game by game to use the old cliche or, you know, is there a way of, of sort of gearing up for it a little bit differently whereby, I don't know, would you even consider yourself the, the rank outsiders in a pool? I Well, I think they've just got to be pragmatic and accept they are the rank outsiders take some pressure off themselves um, and I think more now than ever they need to be brave and have a bit of conviction about how they're trying to play uh, Dan came from obviously was originally with Connacht um, and then ended up as as a coach under Gregor Townsend who's, who's really innovative Scottish rugby is on the up and they and obviously Townsend and the likes of Dave Rennie over in Glasgow, they play an offloading game and it's aspirational and it takes time. And um the worst part of seeing someone try and implement an offload game is is when they abandon it three games in because it hasn't worked. And players get a bit on edge and say you're not telling us enough where we need to be on the field. And to me, that's an abdication of a player's responsibility. If you're if you're given um a bit of leeway, leeway by a coaching team. There's, there's an associated level of responsibility they're giving you. They're actually giving you trust, and they're saying it's up to you to make the call on the field. And that's really refreshing for a lot of normal guys who like playing sport. There are lots of non-normal guys who play sport who want to get told everything, you know, down to the very, very last yard of where they need to be, and that that works for them. That's fine. Dan isn't like that. I think he's taken huge learnings from from the Scottish setup, and he's bringing it back in. and And as a result, Ulster are making what an average of ten. Did you say ten? Nine? Yeah, in the pro ten. Okay. The, the the thing that I I note, I suppose, is that Connacht winning under Pat Lamb in that season had the most unforced errors in the pro fourteen, but at December. At Christmas time, they had the highest level of unfortunate. They went on and won the league because they were brave enough to stick to what they were trying to do. And the same way you watch a two-year-old trying to walk, they keep falling on their arse and eventually they work it out. 
and they walk. They don't get a template handed to them by their parents with a strategic plan to say, learn how to walk. <laughs> so, like, you know, they've got to be brave and they've got to back what they're trying to achieve. And, and I, I really like, I think a selection policy is very obvious now based on that. If you look at Nelson, Kernahan and Stockdale as their back three, I think is Stockdale the oldest. He's twenty one. Yeah. He's the oldest of those or three. Nelson's guys. a bit older, but okay. But like they're they're Not young. Much experience, yeah, yeah. And he's saying go go give it a shot. I'm going to back you. And they're not. There's no chance they're going to get everything right. But um, imagine they come out of a a six six game group against these three teams with a with a squad that is a bit more battle hardened, wiser from a European season. Who cares if they don't get out of their group? You know, yeah. if that would be a huge step forward for their for their overall squad. Yeah, like you mentioned, Kernan there, he was in the sub academy literally a matter of months ago, and now he's starting for them in a, in a big game and, and featuring really prominently. Uh, Tom O'Toole, a tight head, just turned twenty, I think. Obviously, had a tough time at scrum time last time, but an exceptional prospect as well. Like Nick Timoney is really growing into that as well, and and they're the kind of long term things that I think Ulster fans, in fairness to them, will appreciate that this has to be a, a, a kind of longer term growth and it, it's yeah. not going to be winning Champions Cup straight away. No, and the, I mean, they have a lot of injuries as well to key, key personnel at the moment who will come back into that group. But with, with the young guys kind of out in the cold at the moment, they're going to learn fast and that will be of huge value to the group overall. Yeah, and like you bring back in Jordy Murphy from his ankle. Mm. Marty Moore's had that calf. Will Addison was back. That's a really strong first 15 and, and there's definitely big performances in this squad. I think they're going to upset someone at some stage in that group um, you mentioned Dan there the other interesting part of his kind of coaching makeup I think is the kind of psychology focus he's a real avid reader um, loves that side of the game and like while these messages can be kind of trite or meaningless mm. he's talking about fighting for inches I think you're actually seeing evidence of it like everything they've said they've done even when they went down to 13 men against Connacht that's when the fight really kicked in and, mm. and really brilliant turnovers at the breakdown, working really hard to cover the extra space in the backfield that was left missing by that red card. Uh, and actually, I thought that second half performance, albeit losing for the first time since 1960 to Connacht, was actually really encouraging because you're seeing them do what they're actually talking about. And, you know, a lot of people talk about fighting for inches, but it was highly evident. And I think that psychology side of it for them is also massive because how many times have they been in promising situations and just not... Mm had that mental edge to, to get over the line. Yeah, I mean, you touched upon Connacht there, who who obviously uh, did get over the line against Ulster at the weekend. They kick off their Challenge Cup uh, campaign. This again, a question here from, uh, I hope I'm reading this correctly. Uh, it's from Instagram, Comatosed Kamara. <laughs> uh, so Comatosed asks, uh, what is Connacht's strongest starting back three? Good question, actually, from Comatosed. Yeah, good question. I'm actually looking for. I'm going into the game on Saturday, looking forward to that one. Uh, there's probably going to be a r- bit of rotation, so we'll see a few more of those back three options. Obviously, it's kind of been a bit more clear now because Severis is not coming. He would have added to that as well. Um, yeah, look, some great options there. You have Nee, Adi Lokon, Matt Healy, Keen Kelleher is back in really good form. Obviously, Tierno Halloran is the guy at 15. You've Dar Leader there as well. Rory Scholes, multiple options. I think. To answer the question, oh god, it's a tough one. Tierno Halloran at 15, I think, has to be there. Dead Real important here. leader. Um, he's been, I think he's been brilliant in the air I think his defence is improving which was the big one I think for Joe Schmidt um, and his attacking game we know he probably hasn't actually 
had a chance to flourish in that regard yet this season. But I'd have him at 15. I think Matt Healy on the left wing, um, just his finishing ability and, and game-breaking ability is massive. How many times have you seen him bursting past his opposite man down that left wing or coming off his wing against Ulster, as you saw on that set-piece play, um, albeit with a bit of blocking in front of him just to open the gate. Um, his pace is immense. So I'd have him on the left wing, the right wing, God, Nia, Adi Lokan or Keen Keller. I think Keller's in such good form um, and is such a physical... Um, he's just big and strong, isn't he? Good in the air as well. Nia, Adi Lokan, probably stronger defender. Uh, pushed, I'll go for Keen Keller on form at the moment, maybe. So, yeah, Keller, Healy, O'Halloran. Andy, would you go along with that? I would, actually, yeah. I, I think... Well, I think Tiernan uh, is a shoe-in. Mm. Um, but I think of the three wingers that we spoke about there, three obviously going, not going into two, probably the more rounded footballing wingers just by a, a little pinch are Kelleher and Healy, I think. I think Adi Alokan, um has, for example, improved his, his kicking game, has improved his passing game. He's hugely physical and he's explosively fast. And really, ideally, that's what you want in your wingers. Um but I think as as an all-rounded player, the other two guys have, have a better capacity to link up with the team. At the moment, they're playing a nice brand of rugby where I think wingers will actually come into midfield a bit more and get more involvement. And that role, I think, is just at the moment, it's probably another season away from Adi Loken to come in and be a link player in midfield. Um, and that kicking game, I think he's still working on too. I noted James Lowe, who's who's... Lauded as box office all the time from the Munster kickoff at the start of the game, but they kicked it long and right, which was low catching it on the left hand touch line, and he kicked a seventy meter kick in a five yard channel off his. Now he is left footed, but uh, the margin for error was was tiny, and that type of thing happening in your game with a winger takes massive pressure off the group. And I wonder, you know, Adi Loken in a similar situation, would he have made a 70-yard kick or might have just screwed off his shin and made 20 yards into touch? That's something that at the highest level, I'm not sure he's got quite yet. And maybe Keller and Healy have the edge in their all-round game. Yeah, well, it's a great headache to have. And like, if you look at the Ireland pecking order, Adi Loken was in the last camp. Keller hasn't been in there for a while, I don't think. So clearly, Joe Schmidt rates all these guys. And yeah, great headache for Andy Friend. Uh, so before we wrap, gents, we'll make a call on these games. Uh, we'll start with the defending champions at home to the Wasps. Yeah, I can't see anything but a Leinster win here. I think it could be convincing enough. Their defence in such good nick. Um, Johnny Sexton and, and Furlong coming back in as well. So yeah, strong Leinster win for me. Andy, yeah. Leinster for you as well? Bon- yeah, try bonus win, I think. Yeah. Oh, kicking off in style. Uh, Monster over in Exeter. I actually think a losing bonus point would be a fantastic result for them here. Um, I'm not convinced they're going to get it. Uh, I'm going to say Munster to lose oh, with a losing bonus point. Okay, so you, okay, yeah. you're, but you're not convinced. I'm not fully convinced, but <clears> I'm going to say like we've seen them so many times in Europe come up with the goods, yeah. keep themselves alive. So yeah, I think they'll maybe just sneak it. I think the line is eight points as well. Like they're right on the precipice. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see uh, in the bookies. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, yeah, things are going to get pretty boring around here if I keep agreeing with you, Murray. But <laughs> we'll, give you, well, we'll yeah. give you first dibs on Ulster, so right? You can, can make just the say, outrageous call. Can I just say I was 2 0 last week, I think? Was okay. Like? Ooh. Oh, no, no, you said no, Connacht, no, yeah. You no, said I said Connacht. But Connacht. you backed Munster, did you? I backed Munster, yeah. yeah so, yeah. I won. Yeah, so I'm 1 0. We're 1 0. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you reckon uh, a losing bonus point? I think, a, I think a losing bonus point would be a, a good result, yeah. Um, and I think it's possible, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, we'll start with you, Ulster at home to Leicester. So this is, yeah, I'm going to go for an Ulster win here. I think this will be their only win of the group. Oh, well, they're going. Well, that's, a bold, that's a bold call. Yeah, I also think Ulster win, but I think they might pick up another group stage win. Yeah, Ulster to win this weekend anyway, we'll see after that. Right, we'll see how it plays out. Thanks, gents. Appreciate your time. Thanks uh, very much, Gav. If you want more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets. For more, visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com. Over 18s only. Enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie for more. That is all we've got time for. Thanks for your questions and thanks for tuning in during the week, wherever you are. Um, enjoy the rugby over the weekend and we'll be back next Thursday. Until then, 